Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Hope you're having a great morning. That crisp air it really, really felt great. Hey, I want to remind you about this coming Wednesday is our Ash Wednesday service. And, and I know you're, you're maybe wondering, it's like, well, wait a minute, you're one of those newfangled churches. I didn't think you guys were Catholic or a Lutheran. And there are some really good ideas that come from the tradition of Christianity and expressed through all the different denominations. And one of them is Ash Wednesday. And, and, and what we do is it's, it starts off Lent. And if you don't know anything about it, then just come join us. You'll learn everything about it. But what we do is we also, we kind of remove some of the toxic parts of some of the other traditions like obligatory performance and self-mortification. But what we're doing is we're just marking ourselves with an expression of devotion to grow in our knowledge of the passion and the resurrection of who Christ is. And that 40-day journey to learn more about what God has done for us in our lives. We're not trying to get God to love us. We're not trying to give up fish. I ain't giving up no fish. You know, we're not trying. I'm a fisherman. I'm eating fish. I need to, no, wait a minute. You're supposed to eat fish on Friday. You're supposed to give up meat. I ain't giving up no meat either. Does this body look like a man who gives up stuff? I, I, I do not give up stuff. So let me encourage you to join us 7 o'clock on Wednesday. It is also super family-friendly. It is a great time to have a conversation with your child, and um, there's something about the, the, the um, ashes that when you kind of like mark yourself and all that stuff, it's kind of like, what? What's that all about? And you mark, it's real Lord of the Rings-ish. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, what are we, we're going into a medieval world of, mar you know, and it, it really is. There are some really good tactile things that we can learn about um, dying to self and rising anew in Christ. So join us this coming uh, Wednesday at 7 o'clock. So let's talk about the Today Show. Well, they came and they filmed on Monday. The Today Show came down to talk about flooding. It was really cool to, um, yeah, thank you, uh, to talk to uh, them about it and be a superstar for a moment. They did not air it. Uh, you know, um, somebody came through, Hugh Jackman sang a song, you know, I mean, I could sing a song, but they, they got bumped till Monday. So tomorrow, um, set your, your DVRs to do not stay up and watch it. I mean, don't get up early to watch it, but it'll be done encapsulated about the issue of flooding in America, some new legislation and how it impacts us. And so, um, yeah, so it'll be really great. If you miss it, I'll video clip it and then maybe pull it in. And we'll just kind of feel like big dogs next week when we put it on. You know, we'll all be like famous for a few moments. So you can enjoy that. Well, if you're here for the first time at Crosstown, I'm jumping into the last message of a series that I've been doing for eight weeks. And it has really been a, a series that has touched something inside of me. As you know, if you've been here, I don't write things theoretically. Um, they, they are things that I'm learning personally, so it's not like I'm downloading something or getting it out of a catechism, though that's okay to do. Um, I'm just trying to survive as a human being, and I'm trying to live uh, an authentic Christian life with God. And so when I have adversity that's impacted my life, I bring that, I bring that to the stage as well. Um, I, can't, I can't anesthetize my, my Christian life and remove all the bad things out of it and talk about all the wonderful things. And this series, if you're new here, has been about reimagining our lives, 
about supplanting some of the imagination of where we think we're going and how life has doomed us, but rather beginning to think about what God thinks about your future. And we've journeyed with Abraham. And we didn't just do the Bible Belt stuff where we talk about Abraham was a hero and Abraham blah, 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 and he's the father of the faith. And that's all good and that's all in the Bible, so I better stop making fun of it. But we also looked at those moments where Abraham deals with depression, where Abraham deals with loss, where he has his moments of doubt, his fights, his personal failures, his marriage has issues. And, and we brought all of it in. And I think I, it comforted my soul so that my expectation of God in my life and the experiences that I have in the world, it, it kind of made, it's like, okay, I am really having a biblical life experience. This is, this is really what walking with God is like. So we're going to be finishing up with that today. And I don't know if you know what April 1st is. There's all kinds of foolish things that we do on April 1st. But April 1st represents the first day that Harry and Meghan will no longer be a part of the royals. Now, if you're into that, you know, you're, you're aware of that. Matter of fact, I think that's what played on Tuesday and bumped me off the debate show. It, it was. It was. They, they, they talked about it. Those stinking royals. So, uh, so we got bumped on that. But the, the idea is that they're walking away from it. Now, whatever the reasons are, I'm not sure. And, uh, and I really, you know, don't want to rationalize any of that. But when I, when I hear something like that, and I'm a person who loves British literature uh, of, of the romance type, I'm... I'm my favorite person is Jane Austen, and I love all the Jane Austen novels and movies. And a matter of fact, there's a new Emma that just was released, and it's, it's in theaters right now. But the idea of stepping out of the royal court and going out of the royal court and living regular life just doesn't fit with me. It's like, what? I mean, you're part of the, the royal line of family, and you, you want to walk away from that. And again, I don't know what the reasons are, but just standing back and looking at it, because most of us have dreamed of a storybook life where little girls grow up to be princesses or, or at least marry a prince, and, and, and young boys become princes and become kings. And, and so that tends to be the direction that we go, is that we tend to move towards royalty or distinctiveness, separating ourselves from commonality, and we tend to, and so to see somebody moving in the opposite direction, for somebody like me that, that sees all that historical heritage and the privilege that they're walking away from, um, I, it just kind of blows my mind. And, and that kind of storyline sets up something as we close out this series about reimagining our lives. Because when we reimagine our lives, and as we've been talking about, I'm, I know a lot of us have been popping up different ideas about we want to reimagine a different type of marriage. We want to reimagine a different type of experience with our children, reimagine a different financial plan or career plan or culture or church experience. And, and we have a lot of different things that we think about when we say, let's reimagine our lives. But I think there is a common thread that should be embedded in every one of our our minds as we think of a common thread in a tapestry that should pass through all of our reimagining, that it should be common to all of us. And I think it's, I think it's a royal thread. I, I think it's something that should affect every one of our lives. And when I think about reimagining my life, and I don't know where I'm going to be in five years. I don't know what, you know, people ask, what's the plan for Crosstown? What's your five-year vision? I'm like, listen, you know, 
we're going to flood three more times. Is that a vision? You know, uh, I didn't know we'd be on the Today Show. Didn't have the vision for that. Didn't know I'd have a severe injury. Didn't, that wasn't in my five-year plan. And so, so when you can't control all the equations, what's the one thing that we can control? And that's that thread that runs through our soul. And it's, and it's kind of like a royal thread. And so when I was thinking about a word that describes this best, that every one of us should be reimagining about our lives, it's the word nobility. Just think, just think about the word nobility. And, and I'm willing to bet that most of you are, the thought of considering yourself noble is a foreign concept. Um, but just think about the word nobility. And when I'm using this word, I'm not talking about a class, a distinction of class of person, but what I'm talking about is a character of person. And the word noble is, is not a really, you know, big word, but it, it, it just refers to um, having or showing fine personal qualities and ideals. It's synonymous to living life with virtue, with goodness, being honorable, being honest, being upright, and being excellent. Um, I think we could all agree that, yeah, yeah that I think every human being should live with a sense of nobility, a sense of a, a noble character in their life, that regardless of what else we were imagining, that that really should go through every one of our lives. And one of the things I notice about nobility is that it transcends job description. I mean, anybody, it doesn't matter what your job description is. Have you ever gone to um, what do they call that place with the arches? McDonald's. Have you ever gone to McDonald's? Uh, I'm sorry, I've been locked into Chick-fil-A for so long, I just can't get my head out of Chick-fil-A. But if you go into the Golden Arches, and, and you can go in there, and, and you can experience a person at the counter, and you can tell whether that they've got nobility about them. And their nobility can change your experience. If they make eye contact with you, if they're proud of their product, if they're ready for your service, they're ready to interact, they know how to run the cash register, if they're ready to do the job, you can tell that about a person. You wanna hire that person. But likewise, you can go up into the same McDonald's and get somebody else, and you can, you can tell that, you know, they really don't want this job, they don't wanna be here. Matter of fact, the McDonald's, they got a place for reserved parking for waiting for your food. If nothing says we are a culture that lacks nobility, is to be a fast food place that says, here's where you park because we don't have your food ready. And, and, um, but being noble is something that transcends the job description. It transcends the level of education, social rank. It, it transcends uh, paycheck. It, tr it transcends what the color of your skin is. It transcends um, what your gender is, your health, your appearance, and even your failures, how you deal with failure in, in life. It's that one thread, it's this one thing that we can control in our lives on how we are going to live, this royal thread of nobility. And it doesn't matter where you are in the social strata of life, but... Because of life experiences and pain and injustice in the world, uh, nobility of mind is sometimes hard to keep in your head. It's, it's something that we lose. We get caught up in life and, 
and to, to try to remain virtuous and honorable and good and excellent, and it, it really seems to get like sucked out of your life. And the loss of innocence or idealism can be replaced by resignation and even with suffering is that this is just what life is all about. And I had all these great plans about what I was going to be. I was going to be this when I grew up, and then I was going to accomplish that, and my kids were going to be different, and we put them in the right schools because we thought that school would feed her into this school, and this school will feed her into this, and then they'll succeed. And then 20 years later, all of a sudden, that idealism is blown up while they, as they're walking through their first divorce, and, and their career is not panned out the, the way that it is. I love when I run into a young pastor who's planting a church. They'll all be excited about, man, we're coming to Charleston. We're coming alongside to help your brother, and we're going to... We're going to change the world, and, and, and it's so idealistic, and it's so wonderful, and it's so true. But then when they, you find them about 50 and 60 years of age, all of a sudden you begin to find that life has changed a little bit for them. You know, you see this in the Apostle Paul in his epistles. You read, about, read Ephesians, and he's all pumping with energy and excited and charged. And then you get to like this second book to Timothy, this letter he's writing to Timothy, and he's like stuck in a prison someplace, and he's all alone. Everybody's left him. He's a little older. He's about my age now, and he's, he's kind of like, he's pretty much done 80% of what he's going to accomplish on the planet, maybe 90%. He's waiting for word about what's going to happen to his life, and he's like, hey, Timothy, you know, could you just bring me the warm, part, the warm cloak that I have? Because right now I'm really cold. And, and if I could just stay warm, that would be really cool. And, and also, I got a couple things I was writing down on some parchments. Could you bring them with me? And, he's, and he talks about, and this guy and this guy have deserted me, and they've left, and they left me alone. There's only a couple people with me now. And it's like life has a way of beginning to whittle away at the idealism and the innocence of life. And it, and it begins to try to make an exchange with us. It tries to rob us of the royal thread or we just walk away from the royal thread of nobility in our lives. And this, this happened with Solomon. I mean, nobody has reached the top better than Solomon. He's, he's like, he's king, he's wealthy, he's brilliant, he's... Um, uh, experienced all kinds of pleasure. He's experienced all kinds of wins in his life. David fought all the wars. Solomon is kind of like the guy, you know, he's like the baby boomer, you know. Uh, uh, the generation fights us for them. Baby boomer comes along and we experience all this great wealth and, and progress and wonderful things. And, and in the middle of it all, that Solomon keeps looking at life and he keeps looking at life and he begins to see that, you know what? Man, I'm looking at life and it's just not as good as I thought it was going to be. I just thought this thing was going to make life better. I thought living in this neighborhood was going to make me better. I thought marrying this woman and getting rid of that person in my life. I thought moving to Charlotte would have changed my life. And I thought getting a new job or getting my doctorate or whatever was going to give me a sense of nobility in my life. But we find him cascading on his way down in life from this pinnacle of great success. So much so, he says this. So... I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all this vanity and a striving after win. Ecclesiastes 2.17. See, in a way, Solomon allows his view of the world, his hardships and difficulties to leave the royal brand behind. 
for some reason, he just walks away from the royal brand of God in his life and God's picture for his life, and he begins to look at life separately from God, and he begins to look at it, and it's like, man, you know, um, looking at the... Yeah, okay. So he looks... uh, Okay, no, 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 okay, I'm looking for children. So he basically, I say this word at home, you say it at home. Um, I might as well say it here because we say it everywhere. And this is Crosstown, so if you didn't expect this, what the heck are you doing here? So it's like, so he begins to look at the world around him and he's like, what the hell is going on? He's like, I thought this job was going to make me great. I thought this position was going to make me great. I thought this food, I thought this woman, I thought this, this gold, I thought this. And all of a sudden, he just was like, you know, it just falls apart. And he's just evaluating life, and he's like, life stinks. Um, mankind is intention, and, and this is true. I mean, so I, I want to hold this in a, in a right way. And, and believe me, I know you're in a really serious place. We're coming back up. Okay, so give me a few minutes. We're gonna get we're gonna get up on a truthful up, but mankind is intention, and maybe this will help you understand what's going on with you and going on with America and going on with us as a people. Mankind lives intention. Here's how I, I, I framed it: God is God and is always God. Okay, He can't not be God. He's always God. He's God. There's no tension up there. He's not like at odds with himself. He's not trying to lose 50 pounds. He's not trying to keep his position. He is God and he's always God. No tension. Then you got nature on planet Earth. Nature is nature and is always nature. I mean, the lion may eat the lamb, but I'm telling you, the lion's not stressed out about it. He's not morally grieved by what may look like an injustice of the bigger getting the, the smaller. Nature just goes on. Nature's not trying to be anything but nature. You know, God's not trying to be anything but God. He's God always, and nature is nature always. But here's the rub for man. But mankind is of God and of nature. Is that there's a little bit of God in us, and there's a little bit of nature in us. So we're in this place of tension, of of when we look at the world, there's a part of us that, that wants to see the divine and the good and the virtuous and excellent. That's why we have Disney World. It's because we want to strip the nature of things out and replace it with the ideal of God. Where everybody loves each other, where mice talk and where lions uh, talk and where everybody talks. Uh, I, and so in Disney World, all that is, is it's, uh, it's kind of like a God, humanistic God world. You know, this is what we want it all to be like, a magic kingdom. And then when you drive out of Disney World and you get onto the, you know, the ramp onto I-4, it all comes back to nature. Entropy, the laws of thermodynamics, and uh, the use of the middle finger. I mean, it all just comes back. The world comes screaming in, and we're back to the world of nature. And because of this, you and I at times look at the world with the divine insight, and then there are times we look at it with natural insight. And we're constantly in tension. And we look at stories in the world around us, and we're like, if God is good, how can he allow this to happen? And then we look at nature, and they would say, well, it looks so determined, and well, it's just this is the way it is. This is the way life is. And, and we live someplace in the middle of of this place. We have a royal thread that runs through our natural souls. 
So mankind lives in tension. We are breath and soil. What an interesting combination we are. We're unique in that way on this planet. We're breath and soil. Um, which means, unlike nature, we can possess nobility. You know, a, a lion needs a mare or needs to win a war to try to grab a hold of, of power. But unlike nature, we can possess virtue, honor, goodness, excellence. We're distinct from nature. And unlike nature, we can possess nobility. But unlike God, we can forfeit nobility. See, that's why we're in tension, is because we're in this pull back and forth between this, this place of tension where seeing life is good, seeing where life is hard, where it's difficult, and we're being pulled back and forth. You know, I listen to a lot of philosophy. I'm, I'm, I'm like in a growth spurt right now. I mean, God just, because of some of the events in my life, I had to choose to either coil up and die or, uh, or thrive and grow. And so I decided by God's Holy Spirit, have been empowered to thrive and grow. Um, and so I've been listening to a lot of philosophy, a lot of psychology. I've even delved into a couple of other religions just to kind of see what is their worldview. And I was looking at Buddhism. And if you, if you take philosophy and, and, and psychology and you take Buddhism and you take the royal thread, you leave the royal brand out, this is what they all agree that life is. One of the four noble truths of, of, of Buddhism says this, that life is suffering. That's it. The psychoanalyst, the philosopher, and the religious, that when you depart from the royal family, when you depart, when you remove the nobility of God out of people's lives, we begin to collapse into the natural world, and all we see from this point on is suffering. And life has that way of of trying to steal that string. Um, and so we go through this world of relentless attempts to try to get nobility in our lives. Um, maybe you didn't have to go into a philosophy to figure it out, but you experience the suffering of life because of uh, the attempts to try to get other people's approval, and you can't. Maybe it's because of the episodic responsibility of having to pay your bills every month on time, trying to scratch some money together, and you're just like, man, is this what life is? Or maybe it's the echoes of the past, mistakes that you've had, and the accompanying shames that walk around and remind you about how you messed up in life, and it just reminds you you don't deserve any better, and, and life is miserable because you've made miserable mistakes. Maybe it's because of a relationship that you're experiencing um, disillusionment, uh, a lack of nobility. Maybe it's a bad hip. Maybe it's flawed governance. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's victimization. Maybe it's social stigmatization. The white people did it to me. The men did it to me. You know, we'll find somebody, some people group, that you stole my nobility. It's like, no. White man, if you think you're noble because you're white, you're believing a lie. And black man, if you're thinking you're ignoble because you're black, you too are believing a lie. If you think that you're noble because you're a man, it, it's a lie. If you think you don't have nobility because you're a woman, you're believing a lie. 
But that's what lie. And then we begin to fight with each other. That if I can just get this from the 1% and I can rip it away and I can, and I'm not trying to be political. I'm not a political guy, but you can see how this is playing out in America. If we can take from the haves and give it to the have-nots, then we'll spread nobility around. Well, let me just tell you, the haves didn't have nobility. They just had money. That's all they had. And and you're going to find out after you get money that it's not enough. And guess what will be revealed? How ignoble you really are. But we're in tension with people and and trying to blame other people. Uh, You know, I I view life, um, I'm into fishing, love fishing a whole bunch. And so I can always line myself up with a a fish story. And our view of life can be that that of a a fish. Our expectations, hopes, swim, we swim through them. When we're younger, before we've experienced hardship in our lives, we just swim through it. We've got beautiful color, we've got scales, we've got, we've got muscle in our body, and it propels us as we go through the water and we take, in our own will, we decide to go where we want to go, but then life happens. Changes occur. Loss is experienced. And the scales of beauty begin getting stripped away. And the power of of movement in our lives and the strength in our lives gets replaced by a mindset of bones and immobility. We begin to have all of our expectations and dreams get, they just get filleted right off of us. The muscle that propels us through life is, is taken away and it's devoured. And if you saw a fish like this swimming in the water, you would you would just be grossed out and you would be scared if all of a sudden you reeled this in and, and this is what, f- but you know what? When you take the God thread, the noble thread, you take the royal thread of being created in the image of God out of your life, humanity looks like that. We're just another beast that has risen from the dust, separated by 3% of DNA, and that's all we are. Sure, we paint better, yeah, we put a man on the moon, But you know what? When it's all said and done, you strip nobility from humanity. You strip the spark of God from humanity. And then we end up with nothing but nature left. And a lot of us are sitting here today, and because of pain, that's how we feel. Having had to deal with depression over the last six months, and I've never dealt with it in my life, um, I, I chose this picture because if I wanted to visualize what depression feels like, like when it's in me and when I think about trying to tell people why, you know, you're depressed because of your injury and because your age or because where, you know, the pain or whatever it is and the loss or whatever, it's like, yeah, that's it. I feel like my life is the remnant of a life that once was, a life that once had beauty, a life that once had power, a life that swam in the currents of the ocean, was able to go upstream when everything else was going downstream. But life can present us with, with experiences that all of a sudden we feel like this. And today God wants to call us back to nobility. He wants to restore the beauty to our lives. He wants to exchange our ashes for beauty. He wants to give us strength and empowerment through his Holy Spirit and through the power of his word. Christ didn't come and tell us that life is suffering. He doesn't 
Christ doesn't say, come escape life with me. Let's go build, let's go build someplace up in a mountain and let's all escape the world. It's all going to hell in a handbasket and let's escape the world together. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, let's steal life. And he doesn't say on Sunday morning, let's just fake it. It's just like, act like life is good, but really we've all been stripped to our bones. But here's what he comes to do. He comes to bring us life, but not just natural life. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now can you see how he's not talking about materialism in the 21st century? He's not talking about whether or not you get a nicer car or a nicer paycheck because you believe in God and, and that, that the gospel is supposed to deliver wealth to you. He's talking about the tension of life where we get caught, sucked out of our perspective, divine perspective, our royal family, and we get caught in the lower world of where suffering takes place. And God says, I have come that you not just have life, but I'm, I'm restoring the royal thread to your life. Nobility, the scales of beauty, the muscles of empowerment, so that you can swim through life with dignity, honor, virtue, goodness, and excellent. No matter if you're white or black, male or female. I mean, don't, changing your gender will not give you dignity. If it could, I'd tell you to do it. But it won't. The thread of dignity comes, is a royal thread that comes from the family of God that comes through Christ, and Christ wants to restore dignity to every one of us. Whether we go on to be pilots, whether we go on to be doctors, whether we, we uh, own a McDonald's, whether we're teachers, whether we're stay-at-home parents, whatever it is, God wants every one of us to live with a sense of nobility, virtue, honor, and excellence. And Jesus calls us back to it. He doesn't die to show us death, but shows us life that is greater than death, a resurrection and a reimagining of life. Um, I, I heard this whole idea, this, this whole concept of Jesus calling us to nobility. I kind of saw it practically worked out. Uh, I saw a child's book, a children's book that was written, and it really just kind of echoed, I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. But this book was written by a football player. His name is Martellus Bennett. And he wrote this little book called Dear Black Boy. And I looked at the book, and I, and I found an interview with him where he's talking ab about the book. And I want you to hear how, like Christ, when he was speaking that I've come that you, you have life, but not just life, that I've come that you have dignity, nobility, I want you to hear a little uh, video soundbite of the interview with Martellus Bennett. Every kid who looks at me, hopefully they see themselves when they look at me, and when I look at every kid, I see myself in them. So the black boys, all of us. We must lace up our shoes to do more than run another sprint, dunk another ball, catch another pass, or swing at another pitch. We must lace our shoes and run toward freedom, picking up those who get tired or distracted on their way to the finish line. If I could inspire the next generation of architects and, you know, technology leaders and writers and authors and illustrators and film directors, then I feel like I have fulfilled my life purpose. Dream bigger, black boy, dream bigger. 
for your dreams are valuable. No one can take those from you. You deserve to dream the wildest dreams and to chase those dreams the same way you chase a loose ball in the fourth quarter, a running back breaking free down the sideline, or a fly ball in the outfield. All these kids are just like, they're so beautiful. And I think the world's a more beautiful place when a black boy dreams. And um, I think the, the world deserves to have the dreams of the black boys fulfilled because it's what make it a better place for all of us. What an amazing voice. And I saw that as like the voice of Christ calling us to stop marginalizing ourselves. You know, and, and, and I remember um, just the idea that young black boys, that any hope that they have in the future is always seems to be poured into sports. It's like, you know, if you play basketball, if you're, and, and you know, as a, a stupid white guy, um, I always make the, I make the same mistake. If the UPS guy drives up and he's white and he drops off a package, um, uh, I'll, I'll be like, hey, how's your day going? Good, good. Uh, hey, okay, great. I'll sign for that. Yeah, my name's Paul. If it's a black guy shows up with the package, I'll be like, hey, how about them Patriots? You know, it's like, like, it's like, why? Am I trying to be racist? No. But I'm just assuming that all he knows about is, is sports and that he's probably better than me at that. See, there's a re reductionism that occurs to every single one of us, regardless of race, gender, regardless of our social stand. Life, we're, we're like a, a fine dish being cooked on the stove, and you have that sausage you're creating, and you begin reducing it and reducing it and reducing it and reducing it, and when we're finally reduced, we're just bones. We're just a shallow life that doesn't seem to have meaning. And like Martellus Bennett, Christ is saying, listen, you can be more than basketball. You can be more than sports. You can be more than, than your victimization that occurred to you. You can be more than your addiction. You can be more than your gender. You can be more. For us to think that our genitalia would distinguish us as being noble is a crime. I mean, if that's what America's looking to resolve, the nobility issue in America is to figure out the gender thing. Oh, my goodness. We, we have really walked away from the royal family. We are created in the image of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that you can, I can return to the royal family so we can have a thread of nobility running through our lives, no matter who we are, and nobody can give it to us, and nobody can take it away from us. And God wants every single one of us to have it. And the last thing I'll, I'll say today is that um, life has a way of stripping us and reducing us, and, and God wants to call us and empower us. Um, it reminds me of an encounter that Jesus had with the paralyzed man, and normally we'll read this story and look at it and say, well, paralyzed are referring to the uh, lack of function in his, in his legs. And I want us to look at this word being paralyzed differently today. I think we want to need to look at it more kind of a broadband kind of way and how it affects our lives. Because being paralyzed in your legs is one thing, but being paralyzed in your psyche, in your soul, to be to no longer to be able to move through the water of life, the adversities of life, the difficulties, because they're all there, but to get trapped in them and to lose your power in the middle of them, that's being paralyzed. And behold, they were bringing to him a paralytic lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, take courage, my son, your sins are forgiven. 
It's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about sin for? You know, its legs are, are messed up. It's not, it's like, well, Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't understand. The human condition is not just the physical representation. Your intention, there's something about you soulishly that's connected to God and something about you physically that's connected to nature. And in order to restore nobility to the man, God has to speak to both of it. And so that's what he starts. He said, listen, I first got to free your soul because if I get you to walk and you're still lacking nobility of soul, then you're just a walking dead man. I have accomplished nothing. He says, take courage, my son, your, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes because they talked like they're English. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? And this is beautiful, because they're both impossible to nature. Nature cannot say, hey, I forgive you. Nature cannot say, rise up and be healed. The restoration of mankind can only be spoken to us from God himself. It's the only place it can come. And so he says, what, uh, which one of these is difficult, forgiving sins or, or making a dead person? Because, you know, you guys can't do either one of them. And the lion and the lamb, they can't do it either. That these are two difficult things, but they are both things that can be overcome by the word of God. So he's talking to this man laying on his bed. He's talking to you and me while we're laying in our paralysis a soul and emotion and psyche. We're laying on our beds looking at the world and, and we've just said life is suffering and we've resigned ourselves to the bed. Jesus continues, but in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed and go home. And he rose and he went home. Jesus speaks to this, to this man who has resigned himself to his bed. To the man who says life sucks. Life is suffering. Life is pain. And that's all it is. He says, now you need to get up from your bed. That's, that's some bad mojo. That's, that's, some bad, that's some bad philosophy. That's bad religion. That's, that's just nature. But you're not just nature. You're not monkey. You're not, you're not bird. You're not mountain. You are, um, you are part that, but part you have the spark of God in your life. He said, no, laying in your bed, that's not for you. And this man's dignity and hope have been filleted right out of him, and Jesus begins to tell him, no, Sir, it's time for you to rise up with nobility in your life. And I love it when it says, pick up, your, pick up your, your bed and go home. So it's like, listen, take that story and go home. I don't want that to be the public story any longer that you're a man of resignation. I don't want to be, that to be the public view. You have a new story, and I'm giving you a new story. But I love the fact that he tells him to go home. He doesn't, you know why? It's because your home needs a man of nobility. Your home needs a woman of nobility. Your kids need to have a papa and a mama who come home and speak nobility to their children and live nobility out before them. Your society, your culture needs you to live with nobility. 
I don't care if you're living on Spruill Street or you're tucked away on Daniel Island. The world needs men and women who will live with nobility. And, and, and I would say, you know, you don't just muster this up. But God says he has authority to give it to you. And he's offering it to every one of us. So I don't know where you are in your life. I'm willing to bet most of you have pain in your life. I'm willing to bet that most of you are dealing with depression. I, um, I think maybe you're here and you thought your dignity was wrapped up in your achievements and God is saying, no, no, that's, that's not it. That's not it. Maybe some of you have resigned yourself that you are going to struggle with the same sin or compromise for the rest of your life like I did six months ago. I was wrestling with God about something in my life that it was just like a, a way of thinking that I could not overcome. And I would keep saying, God, I'm not going to think that way anymore. I'm going to put that behind me, and I'm going to think this way. And, and I remember six months ago, I said to God, uh, God, screw it. I'm going to think this way for the rest of my life, and this must be what a 60-year-old Christian man looks like. That he's screwed up just like this, and this is the way it is, and I hope nobody finds out. It's not a crime or anything. Just, just wouldn't want anybody to know what's going on in my head. And I had just resigned myself to my bed as a paralytic Within two weeks, that car drops on my back and all the nobility that I thought I had because I could ride a mountain bike, because I could kayak a kayak, because I could fish a fish, uh, and, and I'm no, I know I'm messing all this up, but because I could do all these things at the age of 60, because I got great hair that sticks up in the front, because I look good in a brown uh, vest, whatever the stupid things that I think that are going to give me nobility, God just says, yeah, we're going to take all that away from you. And it's like now we're going to restore a royal thread, not an ape thread, not a humanistic thread, not a man thread, not a baby boomer thread, not a white guy thread, a royal thread of nobility to your life. But I'm going to have to take these things because you think you get them from there. You know, and some of us are laying on our beds and God says, okay, it's time to get up. It's time to rise up, take our beds, put that thing in the closet someplace and bring nobility home. And today as we go into prayer, as we go into this last moment, um, I want you to know that God has declared value to you. Through Christ, nobility comes to our relationship with God through his son Jesus. When he becomes Lord and Savior of our lives, we become a part of the, we return to the royal family. And that threat of nobility comes into our lives, the one that we could never achieve. We become new creations. We become forgiven. We become children of the most high God. We are told that we reign with Christ in the heavenlies while we're right here on planet Earth. That whether we're dealing with illness, financial difficulty, race, gender issues, Whatever we're facing in life, God says, listen, those are, those are tertiary issues. We got to get the divine back restored in your life. And through that, how that happens is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That the same power that rose Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body. You're just naturalism. You're just plain apish life. He's like, oh, I didn't create you to look like the apes. I created you to, so that the apes would be jealous of you. That the apes would look at you and go, wow, 
I got hands. I got feet. Yeah, I don't got a thumb thing. Why do they get to do all that? It's not found in our genetics. It's found in the divine spark of God, the royal family that we are all invited to be a part of through, the, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead to show you that he can empower you to rise from your bed of small thinking, little thinking, victimized thinking, color thinking, gender thinking, social thinking. And they can raise you up to be a son and daughter of God. Father, as we enter into this moment with you, we thank you so much. Because life is not a cloud with a silver lining. It's better than that. You've called us here to experience life and life abundantly. You have not called us here to be the best version of ourselves. You have called us to be God's version of ourselves. And God, that is so much better. So Father, today we get up from our beds under the command of Christ. We rise. And as we take the body and the blood of Christ represented through the cup and through the broken bread, we remember that the dead rise in the kingdom of God. The dry bones through the power of the Holy Spirit can have flesh put back on them. And that we can once again begin to be adorned with the beauty of life and move with power through the waters of life with dignity and nobility. And nobody, nobody can take that away from us. And nobody but God can give it to us. So in delightful resignation, I rest in the works of Christ to discover the greatest works of man through your Holy Spirit. Let me invite you to come and receive the empowerment and the high calling of God for your life.